Hey, what's up, everyone? You are listening to the Airgun Podcast, and we are joined today by Chris Turek. And this dude is an absolute legend. As far as hunting and long-range shooting goes, he has it down. And uh, you can check out all the stuff that he has done so far with uh, big game hunting, long-range shooting, that kind of stuff uh, on his YouTube channel. So go to Up North Air Gunner, and you will find Chris there. So check out his content, watch his videos, let him know that you heard him on the podcast, and buckle up because he has a lot of really good information. Welcome to the Air Gun Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, I don't think you need a whole lot of introduction. I think most people know who you are, um, but why don't you just give us a little bit of background and maybe some fun facts about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Chris Turk with Up North Air Gunner. Uh, kind of my backstory with air guns is, you know, probably like most people, who are in air gunning or really any outdoor sports, they probably had a BB gun growing up like a Crossman, you know, 177 or 20, you know, 22. And that's, you know, my backstory. That's how I got started, you know, back when I was like eight or nine, you know, my dad and I shooting in the basement during the cold Michigan winters. We had a little range set up in the basement, you know, doing these little challenges with each other. And, you know, it's, it's kind of how it all got started with air guns. Um, but, you know, growing up in Michigan and the typical 1980s, 1990s upbringing, you know, I'm, I'm over 40 years old now. And back then, hunting was a way of, of, uh, of our lives. I mean, we, it, was, it was very typical that come November 15th, if you were of age to hunt, um, opening morning of deer season, we just didn't go to school. <laughs> we are, our parents pulled us out of school and we went hunting for the week and uh, yeah, I kind of grew up in that hunting and fishing environment with my, with my family, my uncles, my dad, my grandpa, my cousins, my brother. Um, and then, you know, doing that school and then early college, I kind of didn't really what I didn't know what I wanted to do with life. And so I decided to join the army. I um, talked to a recruiter and the guy, he basically convinced me that going into uh uh, tanks and armor was the kind of the way to go. Um, so joined the military and I was an armored crew member, uh, which was really awesome. I basically all the stuff that like my uncles and my dad and my grandpa, they taught me about marksmanship and kind of handling of firearms and things like that. It was all, it was kind of all good. It was all sort of, you know, that family history and that those things that you learn growing up, you know, through, through family about, about marksmanship and, and firearms in general, you know, I kind of had to get retaught uh, a lot of things, you know, once I got into the army, um, specifically when I got into uh, tanks, you know, everything, the, the ballistics and the long range shooting with that was all, it's all done by computer or most mm -hmm. of it's done by computer. We, we did have some scenarios where you actually have to do calculation, um, ranging your targets without the use of the computer and stuff. And so, um, you know, I think I got, you know, once I got out of the military, that really kind of got my interest going with long range shooting. Um, really, you know, once I got out of the military and, you know, with tanks, we're taking shots at, you know, over three, three thousand, well, you know, 3000 yards, we're taking long range shots on, um, targets. And, you know, once I got out, I kind of was missing that. And, um, I kind of fell into air guns, uh, specifically through the, uh, air gun depot long ranger challenge. Um, mm. that's kind of what, sort of got me into the long range stuff and come to find out a lot of the ballistics, you know, there's a lot of commonality, but there's also a lot of difference. And so, for sure. 
yeah, I think that's um, you know, that's how I got it, kind of got into the long range stuff. But what really got me into it though is here in Michigan, our state was one of the very first states to allow big bore air gun hunting, and at that time, it was like I, <laughs> to be completely honest, it was a choice. Like I could either go get a a straight uh, walled jacket uh, powder burner, which they actually started legalizing that in Southern Michigan where I do most of my deer hunting or this, this new air gun thing that I had never really heard of, you know? Mm -hmm. And the more I looked into that, I was like, man, you know, I want to try something different and bought the air force Texan 35 Cal and just exploded from there. I mean, it's been all consuming ever since. (laughs) Yeah, man, that that's really amazing. Um, I feel like that's pretty unique to get into that to just try out big boars um, for hunting instead of like slowly steps leading up to it. Um, but uh, what what made you want to go with the air guns over like something different, like even bow hunting, for example? Yeah, so you know, again, growing up, um, every single deer season we were in the woods. Uh, so you know, starting October first. I was in the woods with my compound bow, you know, for, you know, to be honest, I actually started with recurve when I was really young. My dad was a really, uh, I would say strict outdoorsman. He also worked for the department of natural resources in Michigan. And he growing up, he really, he actually had a lot of opportunities to work with conservation officers and unfortunately seeing sort of like the, the bad side or the things that you would see people hunters doing that they probably shouldn't be Mm -hmm. um and so i i I got exposed to a lot of that growing up of my dad saying you know ethical shots um you know i I wasn't able to go into the woods until i could put five arrows at 30 yards with a recurve um you know into a pie plate and it's uh you know he kind of had that same mentality of teaching me like every discipline of hunting was all about that ethical shot placement and honoring the game animals as a, as a resource and Mm -hmm. as a, as a form of food. Um, So growing up with my dad, it was kind of that, you know, way of doing things. So yeah, I hunted archery and then November 15th, we switched over to firearms. We got into black powder a little bit growing up. Um, So really kind of every form of deer hunting that was available at the time we we really, we got into. So um, it wasn't really kind of an either or. It was like an all of all of the above situation in our right. in our household. Yeah. So, um, were you surprised at all by how effective it was? Did that shock you, or were you expecting that kind of result when you were taking them out hunting? You know, to be honest, I think it was more intriguing and this is going to sound like a a, like an odd answer to your question because i think when sometimes people get into this they're either going to bring to it like oh it looks like a a firearm it maybe kind of even sounds like a little bit of a firearm when it goes off it's using calibers that are firearm you know 35 cal Mm -hmm. 45 cal 50 cal i think when you first get into it you're you to be honest what i think that i thought was it was going to be even more effective than it actually turned out to be. And I think I learned really quickly that shot selection was much more like archery than it was like firearm shooting. Like, I mean, quite honestly, growing up with 12 gauge shotguns is typically what we had to use in Southern Michigan. Um, I mean, you're slinging uh, a slug over an ounce, right. And you're slinging it at like a ton of FPE and there's, you know, a lot of, 
bad shots can be kind of masked with a firearm right. where with big bore air guns, it's much, much, much more like archery. And so I think that's, that was the aha moment that I had in that first year was it treat it more like archery. And I think um, that was the, you know, then I started getting into our, are there differences on how ammunition performs terminally um, shot, shot angles, shot distance. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, we can dive into each one of these little areas because I've, as you can tell, I, I, I think about this stuff and I research this stuff a lot. <laughs> and so um, I think they're right now in the marketplace, there is a little bit more too much of an oversimplification about caliber and FPE ratings. Um, what I mean by that is like, for instance, if you go out to like pyramid air, air gun depot, you know, any, any of the major manufacturers or dealers, there's these great infographics about like, Hey, this caliber and this FPE, you can shoot this game animal, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like those are decent kind of guidelines as a starting point. But once you actually get out there and you start doing this season after season, um, I mean, to date, I've, I've already gotten, uh, I think, 10 deer, 10 deer now, big with big bore air guns over the last mm-hmm. three years. And what I have found is that those guidelines are just kind of like, I'd say, like a, a decent benchmark. But there are so many factors and variables that actually go into the real world situation that you need to be aware of as you get into this, for sure. Yeah, what 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 would uh, some of those be? Just uh, maybe some big ones right off the bat. Um, so I found, you know, shot angle and shot distance. You know, I think a lot of times we talk about, well, if this gun is like this FPE, I can take shots, you know, 50 yards to 100 yards and you know some of the bigger stuff that we've got coming out now like with the air force texan and the 45 and the 50 cal you know when i first got into this it was like for me it was kind of like 100 yards and in i you know i just really wouldn't even consider a shot but you know now that we're kind of getting up into those you know 700 and 800 uh, feet um so now that we're getting up into those 700 and 800 fpe ratings you know i think you know shots up to even maybe like 125 130 yards are now starting to become capable or possible ethically if you know your gun well enough even if you know your ammunition well enough so but the big things that i started seeing is that shot angle is really really important in Mm -hmm. in addition to distance um taking shots on deer that are quartering towards you or quartering away from you the terminal ballistics that I've been seeing and like actually what happens to your ammunition once it actually hits the game animal, um, a lot of different things happen. I mean, I've seen things where uh, the slug does not fully penetrate through the animal. When I first got into this, what I saw in like the air gun online communities, I kept hearing this, this, this mantra of like, we want to dump all the energy into the game animal. Mm -hmm. And what I found was, what you really want is a full pass through. And the reason being is that when you get a full pass through specifically with a heart lung shot, and especially if you can get it into the vital zone of that deer in the, in the lower half of the deer mm-hmm. is you're going to get a better, a better blood trail. Um, there's hunters I know in the air gunner community, they, they, you know, they're lucky enough. They've been able to take that shot. The deer, you know, goes down right away. But for me and a lot of the experience that I've had is that those deer are going to typically run probably anywhere from 20, maybe even like up to 100 yards after you hit them. 
And depending where you're at, what time of year it is, having that blood trail is, is pretty critical. So I think the biggest thing that I'm starting to focus on a little bit more is definitely the shot angle of, of the deer um, mm-hmm. versus just the caliber or the FPE. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I don't think that a lot of people um, touch on that. In, in the big bore industry, it's, I think what you said, it, it's pretty um, simplified to this is the FPE. You should be able to take this animal with this much FPE. And, you know, as, as you're saying, your experience has shown that there are a lot more variables that go into it. Um, and then right. speaking kind of on the ballistic side of things or just performance of different ammo, um, you've been working with, uh, Lehigh, is that right? On some copper slugs? Yeah, I've been, uh, testing some of their copper ammunition, um, both what they had existing already for, um, firearms. And then most recently they actually had a prototype of a air gun specific, uh, copper projectile I was able to, able to test. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that and why that's, um, pretty, uh, crazy for the, the air gun industry, why we don't see more copper ammunition selections yeah you know i think as we talk about this i mean the first thing i do want to say is uh you know this idea that lead versus copper is it's it's kind of oversimplifying it quite honestly 10 months out of the year i'm going to be slinging lead you know i'm going to be shooting nsa slugs or mr hollow point or casting my own just from a cost perspective mm-hmm. um that's what's the beauty the beauty of air gunning is the fact that we can go out and shoot so much inexpensively. And um, even though that there, you know, this, this, these copper options are, might start coming out more, um, we're, you know, lead's not going away. I mean, there's some fantastic lead in the marketplace that is more than capable of getting the job done. Mm-hmm. The reason what interest, interested me, though, about copper was some of the terminal ballistic performance that copper could possibly offer um, that maybe lead has a difficulty doing or even just can't altogether or can't do it as, um, as predictably as copper could. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, kind of a huge distinction when I say terminal ballistics versus the actual ballistics flight characteristics of that uh, projectile. Cause with copper, the sectional density of copper is going to be much lower than lead. It's going to be lighter weight for a mm-hmm. given, you know, length or caliber. So, it really isn't going to be that ideal um, uh, option. Like if you're taking shots like 75 yards and beyond 7,500, or if you're doing long range stuff, the ballistic coefficient is just going to be so much lower because it's a, it's, a, it's a lighter projectile. We can't sling them at 2,500 to 3,000 feet per second like our powder burner counterparts can. So, right. Um, right. so for me, I was like, okay, but I got talking to Chad Simon a couple of years ago and, you know, we, we always have these crazy ideas. We talk about like, Oh, what if there's a slug out there that performed like a broadhead, right? Mm-hmm. What happens if it could actually hit the deer open up like a broadhead? Um, so if you're an archery hunting, most States require, I think it's either three quarters or seven eighths of an inch uh, cutting diameter. You know, we were seeing some of these slugs that were opening up like an inch and a half two inches it was crazy like some of these crazy exotic slugs doing some of this stuff and most of it was for like self-defense ammunition right so chad and i got talking about it and we're like hey i wonder you know could it could it you know could one of these do work in an air gun and um i picked up some lehigh maximum expansion uh slugs for the um the taurus judge and 
they kind of worked, you know, I mean, at 50 yards, they were holding decent groups. I would call them hunting accurate groups for deer hunting and, you know, shooting them into meat and melons. I mean, they're, they're opening up huge. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it kind of, I, you know, did a couple of videos on that. It's kind of, you know, thought it was cool. Um, I reached out to Lehigh and they're like, Hey, we've got this prototype that we've had sitting on the shelf. We really haven't done anything with it. We'd like to send you some and see if it works. Man, I'll tell you what, out of the Air Force Texan 50 caliber, I mean, they are seriously some of the most accurate ammo options I've ever shot. I mean, and the way they've engineered them to not only expand, or actually those are, are made to um, deploy pedals, like, a, uh, like a, a, gr- a grenade almost as it goes inside of the deer. Right. The way they, they were able to fabricate these like gas check um, fins in the back so that way it seals. I mean, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> so... Yeah, there's some cool stuff that's coming out. Uh, there's some great innovation going on in the ammunition world, but you know, lead is still going to be with us at least in the states where it's legal. Um, it's going to be with us for a long time, and there's some really great stuff going on on the uh, the lead ammunition side of things as well. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, uh, just in the the air gun world, the innovation for slugs is has been pretty crazy, and I've been following your channel for a long time. You know, seeing the long range shooting with the uh, the Texan and um, just all kinds of stuff like that. But the thing that I think is really interesting, like, like what, what we just talked about are those, those copper slugs. Um, and maybe some people don't know why copper isn't very common. C- could you touch on that a little bit? I'm sure you have, uh, you could explain it much better than I could uh, when it comes to air guns. Yeah, definitely. Um, I could actually can tell you a story to tell you what not to do. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think please. That might, might be a really good way of, uh, so one thing about me and my channels, I'm, I'm willing to try things with my guns that, or my, my equipment that, um, you know, I, I, I see, let's see if it's going to work. Right. And so one of the mm-hmm. things I had done that I actually did not show on video was when I first got into this, I'm like, Hey, why, why can't I just use a, you know, a copper slug of equal, um, bore diameter in my air gun. And so in that case, I was using the three, five, seven Texan. And I actually had a buddy who had some, he does a lot of reloading he had some slugs that I think they were around. I think they actually might've been three, five, six, but stuck it in my gun, tried to shoot it. And it got lodged like within mm. like eight, eight inches of, of the barrel. Uh, so I ended up pounding that out with a wooden dowel. It was a total mess and come to find out. And then this is something that should have been obvious before I even tried that was that air guns just don't have the chamber pressure like a firearm does to, to basically get beyond the, the friction coefficient that, copper has versus lead so in order for your projectile to push down that barrel actually a couple things need to happen one it needs to have a good seal not only to maintain accuracy but it needs to have that seal to properly open the valve that which causes our projectiles to get pushed out of the barrel and so if that pressure isn't there um to basically be able to um, push it out of the barrel to exceed the friction coefficient, you're, you're basically ended up with a, st- a stuck slug in your barrel, which is mm-hmm. what happened with me. And so what Lehigh was able to do, there's a, a style of ammunition that even exists um, even outside of uh, copper is this concept of bore riding design where it's barely engaging the rifling. It's not digging so much like the rifling isn't like, completely grabbing into it and the only thing that's creating that gas check or that seal around your barrel is a small band 
somewhere on that projectile. So that way you're getting a, a little bit of a gas seal, but the majority of the projectile isn't fully going all the way into the, into the rifling. So you're basically minimizing your, your friction, but at the same time getting that, that seal. And so with Lehigh, what they did is they created that, those fins that expand whenever you, you, you pull the trigger and the, you know, the valve, the top hat hits the valve, you get that big burst of air, those fins expand out to seal and there's very little rifling actually on the slug, but just enough to spin it enough to maintain that accuracy as it goes out. So that's how Lehigh was able to get around that whole friction versus uh, gas sealing. And it's it's kind of a, a unique idea that they've come up with. And again, it's just a prototype. I think they're going to go live with it. Um, hopefully they'll come out with other calibers. I really hope they would come out with a 45 or 457 version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, but that's kind of the backstory of how that all went down. Yeah, and I've seen those groups too. You you've posted on your social media. Um, it it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, that like even as as good as a uh, the ammunition that we have is currently like those. I was very impressed by how well they were grouping at the distances yeah. that you were shooting. Uh, so there's one, you know, there's one, indi- I always talk to guys this when they get into big bore air gunning, I think one of the first things, at least that frustrated me, I mean, the entire year of like, I think 20, 2017, I was trying to get my big bore to shoot like I had seen people that are shooting like their 22s and their 25s and their, their you know, these regulated guns that we've got out there that can hold mm-hmm. like sub MOA groups consistently out at a hundred yards. Now, big boards, they can do it. If you spend enough time with your gun and you really learn about the pressures and the harmonics and ammo selection, you, you can, you can get it there, but I would say it's, it's, you're going to, it's going to take you some work to kind of figure that out. And mm-hmm. so with this, this copper ammo, you know, those, those uh, groups, you know, that I'm showing at 50 yards, I think also people have to understand that my deer hunting that I do in Michigan, rarely am I taking a shot over 60 maybe 75 yards but i would say last year if you added up all the deer that i put in my freezer i think the average distance might have been 40 yards so for me if i'm holding a one inch two inch group at 50 yards to me that checks the box of okay i I feel comfortable taking this into the field because Mm -hmm. all the shooting that i do um you know you talk to some people there's there's people out there they're just they're dead set on taking headshots on deer you know that that's that's on them. If that's what they feel like they, you know, they grew up doing or they were taught to do, or they feel comfortable doing that. You know, for me, I just, there's too many factors that can go into wounding an animal, um, doing it that way. So for me, I'm, I'm taking shots at the lung and hearts, which is literally, uh, you know, eight inches or even bigger. I mean, it's a huge, it's really is a large, large target area. So, um, yeah, for me, that's, so talking about like, is it competition, uh, accurate no i mean you're talking about 100 yards 150 yards you know there's guys out there slinging some really awesome uh projectiles like the nsa 350 boat tails probably Mm -hmm. the most accurate big bore slug i've ever shot and i mean there's guys out there that can hold moa groups out there you know well beyond 150 yards with those things so um so yeah it's all you know when we talk about these things it all depends on what context of what you're trying to do with it right are you just punching paper are you exactly. deer hunting are you hunting you know there's a lot of guys that hunt pigs that you know they're just doing headshots um so it, it it's a very nuanced question when we start talking about accuracy for sure oh yeah definitely um so do you what what 
what was it that kind of inspired you to start taking on some challenges like you know your 1250 yard shot um and some things that have even been recorded uh you've got some some guinness world records isn't that right yeah what really kind of start, started getting that ball rolling was the Ergon Depot Long Ranger Challenge. And mm. I immediately was hooked, you know, 150 yards. The second I saw that powder, I mean, for everybody that's listening to this that had participated in the Long Ranger Challenge, I mean, seeing that ball explode just triggered something inside of me. It was like, man, I want more of that. Like, that is, like, <laughs> I would say all the reactive targets that I've ever shot that probably has given me like the biggest like internal adrenaline rush of seeing that mm-hmm. powder go at 150 yards and so just as i started pushing it out more and more um like i said you know going back to whenever i was in the military and i was a, a tanker a tank gunner it for us it was like you basically hit your button on your uh you know you laze to the the target to get your your range that came up in your little screen it told you what the range was it, mm-hmm. you know came up as a good range tank commander gave the order to fire and you fired and it was basically not there wasn't any calculation going into it but i loved that long range stuff and once i got into the long ranger con you know the challenge it was like man i really was able to dive into those ballistics and the you know ballistic coefficients of different projectiles and like how wind and spin drift affects this stuff and it it became an obsession and a passion um just i would sit and lay in bed at night and just have these ballistic apps open playing through different combinations of velocity and uh different ammo selections just Mm -hmm. trying to kind of gauge like what they would do and what's really cool about air gunning and i hope this actually will change at some point is in the powder burner world when you're talking about long range shooting there are companies like applied ballistics that have gone out and they've basically have calculated and tested the, the ballistic coefficients of all of these you know uh, factory ammunition options where they they're pretty darn sure of like what that projectile is going to do over long ranges mm-hmm. because they've been able to measure them and you go out to the store you buy that box of ammo and you know that's what it's going to do but with air guns it's the wild wild west like we have kind of you know estimated bcs of things but as most people know as you get into this the ballistic coefficient of projectiles they change with velocity and and so whenever you enter this stuff into your ballistics app i mean you'll find right away when you get out into the field it's a, it's a good place to start but what you actually see in practice often will be um different you, you, you the the actual trajectory of that slug is is not as precise as just entering let's say a factory ammunition load that you can see like in the powder burner world but i think that's what mm-hmm. got me most excited about the long range stuff was just kind of figuring that all all that out and having fun with it yeah well it sounds like you've got a a a pretty good um background to kind of keep you interested in that kind of thing i i i didn't even know that that was actually a a job in the military so that's actually really cool um what what was that like Do, do you do you miss that i mean maybe some aspects of the military you don't miss but do you miss that whole thing yeah, you know, it's funny. So I was, um, so I did uh, three years of active duty. Uh, I was in the 4th Infantry Division. And so after that, I actually got out and I went into the National Guard for um, the remainder of my eight-year commitment. And during that time is when September 11th happened. And what 
the reason why I, my, my military experience was, is probably different than a lot of them is that my armor division got completely disbanded. They realized that during the Afghanistan and Iraqi wars that the need for armor tanks wasn't like we had been training for, for, you know, for my seven years leading up to that, where we were like, you know, training to, to fight the Russians in Eastern Europe. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the type of warfare that we were finding with, you know, these inner city type of, um, types of battles and excursions and tactics so they basically actually completely uh, um, disassembled our my division which was the 49th armor division in texas and they converted us to an infantry division and also military police and so my last year of service i actually spent as a as an mp which was really frustrating for me because you spend seven years learning like a a skill and a craft of being a tank gunner and then completely just <laughs> getting that rug kind of yanked out from underneath you. it's like okay now you're an mp and you got to learn you know all of that and so um the, what i missed about the military though was everything that i had going um while i was in uh tanks and armor i was a 19 kilo um crew member and what i missed and it's kind of funny when you're in the military and there are times you just absolutely hate it it's hot stuff breaks all the time so the mm-hmm. first few years that I got out of the military, I did not miss it at all, to be completely honest. But it's funny, as I've gotten older and gotten further away from it, I've actually started missing it more and more and more. Um, I've reconnected with a lot of old Army buddies. And you start remembering the stuff that was good and the stuff that kind of connected you as brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like that stuff, I think, now that I've gotten further away from my military experience, I'm like, and that's we start talking about gunnery exercises. Cause like in the army, it's, we had something called tank table eight, which was the, you know, that was kind of our qualification. It was like our RMAC or pyramid cup or EBR of tanks. Like everybody, the entire unit gets together, the entire battalion and you compete against each other of like who can get the highest score. And that I miss that so much. And I think now that I've found that in air guns, it's, it's kind of re, re uh kind of scratching that itch that i had back then of um you know get back then being the the top tank you know and so for me it's i'm learning so much there's so many air gunners out there that know so much more than i do and i'm learning from them and um kind of absorbing everything that i can and for me my youtube channel quite honestly is just not that i'm necessarily an expert in any of this stuff but i'm just willing to share my experience um the things that i'm doing the things i'm working on uh to hopefully get a lot of you guys out there kind of trying to do some of the same stuff. That's I think with up North air gunner. Well, yeah, you've definitely got me interested um, in trying to do some more of that stuff. I got to find the space for it. <laughs> I live in a small home in a, in the middle of the city. So I don't have the prime space for it, but um, yeah. Well, let's talk about that def- for a second. That's a really good segue into something that I, just had worked on with uh justin jacobson from utah air guns he and i mm-hmm. got talking about he, he did this like 650 yard uh shot with his impact and if you check out my youtube channel you'll you'll see some information about that and what was crazy about that was when you sit like the ballistics behind what justin was doing with that slug is really equivalent to probably a shot over 1500 or maybe even even close to a mile with a powder burner Mm -hmm. and so when we talk about range and distance uh, you mentioned my guinness book of world record shot that i had taken a couple years ago 
what's crazy about that is it was only 150 yards. And so for most of us, like, okay, that's not really that big of a deal. Um, but when you start getting into the ballistics of stuff and you see that they had, you know, they made me use literally the smallest 177 pellet that's even on the market, which has a ballistic coefficient of like nothing, like a piece of lint. <laughs> and so it, when you start talking about trajectories and being able to do extreme long range stuff, like you see, like with the thousand yard milk jug challenge for, for firearms or the king of the two mile uh, competition with firearms with air guns, you can almost kind of replicate some of that stuff by shooting projectiles that are just a much, much lower ballistic coefficient. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, that drop in inches is kind of that commonality that we can figure out from each one of those. So, you know, looking at Justin's shot that he did at 650 yards, you know, we started doing some ballistic calculations. And so a lot of the air guns and a lot of the slugs that we have access to now, like with the FX hybrids and the, uh, the JSB knockouts and then and the NSA slugs from, from Nick Nielsen, um, you know, they're hovering around that like 0.09 to 0.1 EC. And at the velocities that we can shoot those at, if you can find somewhere where you can get like 200, maybe 350 yards, you're taking shots that are literally equivalent to almost, you know, like a thousand yards with a, with a firearm. So right. it's, it's pretty awesome. Like when you look at it that way, it really makes these crazy long range shooting the things that we're seeing people do even that much more like insane that we're able to do it consistently. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, the ammo selections that we've got uh, available to us now, it's, you know, it's, it's really pushing us out further and further. That's a really interesting point that the long range air gunning is equivalent to you know, those like thousand yard plus shots with firearms. So that, that would be a cool video to have, uh, you know, like a comparison or a correlation to show you kind of how it works. But yeah, um, when it comes to long range shooting, what, what's, what is your official furthest confirmed hit on a target? Yeah. So my first confirmed hit was the 1250 yard shot that I made now, but it's, when we start talking about this though, it's really important to remember that at some point, when you start going out so far like that, you're ultimately just seeing how far, I guess, like you're basically testing the physics <laughs> behind what our air, gun, air guns can actually do. Because at some point, if you can't even hold like a consistent shot group or, you know, the really the accuracy isn't there or the predictability to replicate that shot over and over and over again, you're basically just showing ballistically how far a a bullet's going to land and you're eventually going to hit something at some point so yeah that 1250 yard shot couple things one i was using a 35 caliber air force texan which is a great hunting tool um, but ballistically speaking the 35 caliber projectile is not the best projectile to be using with a lot of uh, with a high ballistic coefficient so that's my personal long range um, there are air gunners out there that have done it uh, more consistently. Um, there's a guy named, if you get onto YouTube and you look up very big rifle a gentleman by the name of Carl Matz, who has been able to hit like thousand yard targets, like consistently over and over and over again. And so whenever I start looking at ELR for air guns at some point when it, when you can't do it consistently, you're just basically seeing how far the rifle can actually push the slug. So it was a fun experiment for me to do and kind of see like, okay, how far can it go out there? But if I were ever to attempt that shot again, I would probably use, let's say, like a 257 Texan that's got a higher ballistic mm -hmm. coefficient or even the 
a 45 Texan um, with a Nick Nielsen 350 grain boat tail is a super high ballistic coefficient for that slug. So if I were ever to attempt that shot again, it would be with, uh, with those slugs. But um, so, yeah, that's my furthest personally. Um, like you, we were talking about before the, the Guinness book of world records thing that, that was just quite honestly, the, all the crazy, silly requirements that they gave me, but really small 177 pellet. I couldn't use a mm-hmm. scope. I mean, all of those rules and regulations were around the fact that one Guinness is a, is a UK based uh, organization. And so they have, you know, 12 sub 12 foot pound of energy air gun regulations over there. So they wouldn't allow us to play with some of the big stuff, but um, you know, it's my hope going forward. Let's say like an organization like the, uh, the air gun sporting association might be able to establish some common um, guidelines for setting records, you know, that they could actually manage and come up with some uh, guidelines and parameters for air gunners to go out there and maybe take shots based on like the FPE of the gun. So that way we can actually really push it out there, but having like a centralized entity like the air gun sporting association, you know, manage that for us as a, as a community, I think that would be pretty cool. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, I think it's a growing part of our sport. I mean, obviously uh, like the Rocky mountain air gun challenge, they now have, um, big bore, uh, events for both the, you know, the bigger big bores and even some of the smaller slug slinging guns. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I think this long range stuff is just going to get bigger and bigger for sure. Yeah, I hope so. Cause I've seen some really awesome stuff with it and, uh, it's just so cool to, I mean, e- even though you might just be pushing the boundaries, it's just cool to do that and, and see what you can do with it. Yeah. And, uh, I think it really, yeah. it pushes the sport forward for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's really, look at it. If you get onto like, get onto the GTA forums and some of the older forums, I mean, there are, there are guys out there that have been doing this a lot longer than me. I mean, they're like, I, like I listened to the podcast you did with Cedric. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been doing this stuff for like over a decade. And so there's some really early pioneers of this stuff that kind of got things rolling for the rest of us. And we always need to kind of take a step back and, kind of honor some of those guys like Cedric, like, you know, on the hunting side, you know, Eric Henderson and Jim Chapman. I mean, as this grows, we should always be kind of looking in our rearview mirror and like, where did this start? You know, how did this all get going? And um, I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome where it's, where it's headed though, for sure. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the, the only direction is up, you know, with, with how, how much the technology has advanced and, the things we're able to do and also how quiet we can keep these things still, even the big bores. Um, it's crazy oh, yeah. how quiet they can still be. Oh, dude. Modern the, technology. Yeah. That 50 Cal LSS that I've got the Texan LSS when I first got it from air force and I started testing it and I was doing some of the uh, accuracy testing and different ammunition from Mr. Hollow point. Um, I, you know, Donnie from Donnie FL had just come out with this new adapter for the LSS that, takes the awesome suppression that you get straight from the factory from tech from air force and then you screw on let's say like a, a ronin or a emperor on the end of that thing and it and it makes it even quieter i mean it's it's astonishing whenever i shoot that thing suppressed and i kind of take it for granted of how quiet it is and if i take that that can off the end i mean mm-hmm. it sounds like a 20 gauge shotgun going off it's 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 crazy <laughs> Yeah. And it's also surprising to me how loud they can still be um, when they don't have something on the end of them or like yeah. a or a suppressor or something like that. Yep. Exactly. Um, yep. 
And then, Chris, you mentioned uh, ASA, the Air Gun Sporting Association. Yep. So have you been in cahoots with them and trying to uh, work on things uh, with them as big game hunting with air guns? Yeah, quite honestly, that's how I even stumbled into the ASA. Um, Two years ago, I was the director of communications for for the ASA. Um, Since then, I'm actually now uh, Rick Reams' son is now doing that work, uh, helping them with their social media and keeping their communications plan going. But so what happened, how I got involved with them was here in Michigan, even though we were one of the first states to legalize big bore air gun hunting, the the laws were just muddy. I mean, they were... Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's quite honestly, whenever you get the every year when the DNR publishes their uh, their digest, I mean, they try their best to make things clear, but it's just so confusing as it is anyway, even without air guns involved, like what tags you need and the seasons and caliber restrictions and all this stuff. And then you throw air guns on top of that. It made it even more confusing. So I got involved with them and. At that time, I was in direct contact with the chief of wildlife here in Michigan, and he invited me out to do a demonstration where they had all the different chiefs of wildlife from all the different Midwest states showed up in Lansing, Michigan to do a demonstration. And I mean, the cool thing was a lot of the other states are still considering it. I mean, it's still not legal in all the Midwest states. And so I was able to kind of show the different, you know, from the Air Force text in, it was like the early uh, prototype of the hammer was there. Uh, we had the, um, the Air Venturi Seneca, the Dragon Claw, you know, some of the other big boars that are available. Mm-hmm. And what I realized during that process was, um, if you haven't noticed, I'm a pretty detailed person when I talk about this stuff. And it becomes like a fire hose of information. <laughs> As I was talking to all of those different chiefs of wildlife, they just glazed over. Right. They they don't want to hear about FPE. They don't want to hear about trajectories. And I mean, they have to deal with so many different considerations when it comes to hunting regulations and seasons and the conservation officers, all the things that they have to do. What I realized right away is that from a grassroots movement standpoint, if you're going to engage with your local Department of Natural Resources or your wildlife agency, or even the legislators that are making the laws behind this stuff, you really got to keep your talking points simple. Um, you know, philosophically or technically, you might think you're right about like, you know, there needs to be FPE requirements or whatever thing you think there needs to be. Mm-hmm. They're looking at it from an entirely different angle of like, how hard is it going to be for us to invo- enforce this? And right. if it becomes too difficult, they're going to be like, screw it this is way too difficult. Let's just move on to something else. And we're not even going to consider it. So that was the aha moment that I had in meeting with them. And then I got involved with the um, air gun sporting association and come to find out like uh, Mitch King, who's the president of the ASA. He's a retired uh, wildlife agency professional himself. Mm-hmm. And not only does he know how to talk about air guns and about what parts of air guns you should be talking about, but also using the language that matters to these agencies and what the kind of language and the approach you should be taking when you engage with them. And so I've had these conversations with different air gunners that live in other states where it's not legal yet. And one of the things I've seen that kind of a common approach would be, well, I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to give a presentation or, you know, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. (laughs) I'm going to backdoor my way into this. And I'll tell you what, the best way to do it is to take a step back, 
talk to Mitch at the Airgun Sporting Association. He might even be up to speed on some talks that are already going on behind closed doors or in some of the um, Natural Resources Commission uh, committees in your state. So there might be some momentum going already in your own state that you don't want to go out and reinvent the wheel. So I would say step one, reach out to the ASA, kind of find out what if there's any backstory about what's going on in your state. But then the grassroots movement is definitely a huge way to make change. Um, the more vocal we can be as a community of air gunners, talking with our elected officials, talking with our DNR, um, but approach it in a way that you have to remember that air guns are such a small, minuscule part of the broader hunting regulation work that they have in front of them. And so if you come at them with so much data and so much information about what you think is right or wrong, um, a lot of times they tune out. So I think that'd be my, my biggest uh, recommendation for people wanting to get involved on the legislative side. Yeah, that's really good uh, information because obviously you, you know, and you, you've, you've done this thing. I've, I've seen the presentations you've given before um, at least the one that's on your YouTube channel. Um, and how would, you know, say someone like myself, uh, reach out or kind of, uh, get my foot in the door of, of trying to push this, uh, for my, my state, for my home state to pass, uh, big game hunting and hunting laws with air guns. How, how would I go about that? Yeah. So, um, every state does it differently here in Michigan, we have something called the natural resources commission. And what that is, it's like a committee that was created um, by uh, appointed officials, basically by the governor and different um, administrations from previous governors have appointed people to this committee. And the reason why they do that is so not every single thing that want that you want to have become legal in the hunting world for hunting regulations does not have to become like a legislative action where it's going Mm -hmm. through like the house of representatives and then the Senate at the state level and then getting, having to get signed by the governor what they realize, at least in the state of Michigan, and, it, and it's this way in many other states, is that there is a commission that's usually set up to help determine what these nuanced hunting regulations are. Um, so step one, would I would, again, contact the Air Gun Sporting Association. Mitch will be able to tell you what that structure looks like in your state. Um, and it might even give you some talking points of like who to contact. Uh, maybe it's not best to contact your elected officials first. Maybe there is a... Um, and a, con- a conservation or outdoors uh, conservation group that maybe has a really strong voice in your state mm-hmm. that might be good to do it through them. Because at the end of the day, if you're just an individual hunter really passionate about this, um, people, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that you're going to get blown off, but it's really hard to get somebody's attention without the momentum of, a, of an association or a group of people behind you. And I think that's what the ASA brings to this conversation because it's all the major manufacturers in our space are part of the ASA. Mm-hmm. Recently, they've actually even opened up a, an individual um, membership. So people like you and I can become members of the ASA and, you know, by no, by no means are we the size of, let's say the um, like, you know, the archery trade groups or anything like that, but by doing it through an association or a group of people, you're going to get, you're going to get people to listen a, a little bit more than if you just do it by yourself. So the good news is most stuff that we want to have changed in air gun hunting regulations doesn't necessarily have to be like a full change in the law. It usually is a, a tweaking of 
hunting regulations, which is like method, it's called method of take, basically, is mm-hmm. they're saying, hey, this this tool can be used to hunt in the, this season. And usually that's not like a really big legislative action. Here in Michigan, the the presentation you, you're, you're referencing that you saw on my YouTube channel, that was because we are advocating for the use of air bows to be used in the archery season for disabled hunters and then for it to be an approved projectile for all other hunters during the regular firearm season. Mm. And that actually has to be a change in the law. And the reason being is that the way the Michigan law defines air guns is they, they mention pellets, BBs, projectiles. Like they don't say arrows. And the reason why, and the reason why we have to get the law changed is because specifically it doesn't say arrow or bolt. So because of that one little thing is stopping us here in Michigan from shooting air bows. But if they can get that word added into the legal definition of an air gun, of the projectile that it can sling, uh, then we'll be able to use um, air bows during the, the regular firearm season. And the way the, the house bill is written to allow disabled hunters during the, uh, the archery season. So anyway, that's the long winded version, but definitely find out in your state, the structure of how these laws and regulations are formed and changed. I think it's a, uh, it's a great educational opportunity for everybody to kind of learn how the, the sausage making goes on in the legislative parts of our states. My big aha moment, all of this, quite honestly, is I think a lot of us, we, we get, <laughs> we get pulled into the, the national politics at the federal level of the, like the, the entertainment that brings us and all the craziness that goes on at the, at the federal level. But it really is crazy. Like how much of your personal life is actually controlled and changed and affected by laws that are happening at the state level or even in your County or even in your city. And I feel like some of us, like, I know for me, like this was a huge eye opener to me. It's like, man, I need to be way more in tune with what's going on in my state legislation mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff that we see on the major news outlets and our social media feeds about what's going on at the federal level man a lot of that's just quite honestly it's just entertainment but like the stuff that affects you on a day-to-day basis man i sat there just as i was getting ready to give my testimony about air guns at the state capitol i sat through like three hours worth of just different testimonies about different laws and regulations that affect our daily lives man it's crazy and i think a lot of us are just tuned out to that legislative process and the more we can get engaged in that even above and beyond what we're talking about with air guns i think just the more empowered we are as americans and i think um that was just a huge eye-opener for me so i'm I'm, I'm really glad i went through that process i mean not not to chase down the rabbit hole but i'm pretty passionate about this i I honestly think a lot of that you know we we see a lot of things on our social media feeds like people don't want to be sheep you know for this that or the other thing and quite honestly i think a lot of that stuff it's, it's a, it's a distraction. Like if, if you really got involved and saw like what was going on at your state level, in your city level, at your County level, and really got, you know, how many of us actually watch, like how many state house bills there are about whatever. A lot of us don't pay attention to that stuff. And you probably should. And the more you get caught up in this sort of national politics stuff as a, as a, as a sort of a distraction to all that, I think both sides of our political structure right now, they don't want us to be very plugged into what's going on. So pull your head out of your social media feed every once in a while, get plugged into your local, uh, not politics, but your local governance and watch some of the stuff that's getting passed because it's everything from, you know, how often your roads get plowed for snow (laughs) or, 
like are you know the, your roads suck in your in your county and like yeah. you're running into potholes all this time it's like the stuff we deal with like on a daily basis and it's uh anyway so it was a pretty awesome eye-opening opportunity for me to, to watch that process yeah that's uh i think everyone could benefit from that just like you're saying just un- unplug from the main stuff and focus on what's in your area just kind of zoom in a little bit instead of having such a broad spectrum of what the heck's going on because yeah. lord knows it's it's freaking crazy right now with yeah everything exactly but, uh, well chris was there anything else that you wanted to touch on any anything new in your world that you'd like to share with the air gun world you know uh it was kind of cool today just today i talked talk more kind of like legislatively one of the cool things that just happened here in michigan um i just read the the email before you and i got started here um here in michigan uh, the DNR, the Department of Natural Resources, just opened up the hunting season to allow during the muzzleloader portion of the deer hunting season to allow basically all methods of take. So now as big bore air gun hunters, we just earned, I think it's another five or 10 days of, of hunting for deer hunting season. So that was pretty awesome. So um, that was kind of a big thing that's going on. Uh, you know, definitely on my channel. Um, I, you know, I, I'm trying to kind of do different things. I'm trying to be different than others. I mean, there's great channels out there that are doing awesome reviews, you know, like Steve at AEAC, you know, he, he's kind of like that go-to guy. If you really want that deep, yeah. deep, deep dive review stuff, you know, Rick, you know, Rick just had his heart attack. I'm praying for that dude. I, I think he's going to come back stronger than ever before. You know, he's doing a lot of trick shot stuff. Um, love what he's doing. You know, the guys over at Whiskey 68, if you haven't checked out their channel, I mean, the love both of those guys, both Keith and Norm. They're doing a lot of awesome stuff. But, you know, my channel, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, I'm doing a lot of this stuff not to say, hey, look how awesome, like, you know, look what I just did. I just shot this, you know, milk jug at 687 yards. It's more to get all of you, you guys, all of you guys and girls and shooters out there to try some of this stuff and to have fun in the sport. I think that's my my biggest push with my uh, channel with up North air gunners to it, it's more documenting my journey of my, I just, right. I love air gunning. I want to share it with everybody. I'm kind of a goofball and <laughs> how I do it. Um, you may not like, like my style, but I'm just, Hey, I'm having fun. But, uh, but yeah, no, just uh, check out up North air gunner. If there's anything you guys ever want to see me do or try, um, you know, I'm pretty willing to pretty much try anything. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And one thing I, I think that I've gathered, you may or may not be a Star Wars fan. Is that correct? <laughs> oh, dude, don't even get me started. That's a whole other podcast. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, yeah, no, yeah, no, man. My, my brother and I, we just, we grew up just total, I don't even say we grew up. We're both 40 year old geeks. Like, man, we just love Star Wars and <laughs> the conversion of air guns into Star Wars lookalike stuff. It's kind of my sideline gig thing that i try to do but it's 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 fun it's all fun yeah and there's a a lot you can do um when it comes to customizing and the paint jobs and like the uh i i don't know what they're technically calling it but like the stormtrooper paint job yeah um or customization on like a, the impact and that kind of thing looks pretty sweet honestly yeah man the stuff that's the i mean if you look at like what utah air guns is doing like with a lot of their custom work with the cerakote finishes and the in the dips. I mean, the things that you can do, um, I guess that's, a, you know, that's something else that's cool about air guns just in general is we're willing to sort of make our 
our platforms just look different, be, you know, be individualized, you know, mm -hmm. make it kind of just outside of the norm. And I think as air gunners, we're, we're kind of willing to take that risk a little bit more than maybe the powder. I mean, there's, there's some firearms where I've seen some pretty crazy stuff, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, Utah air guns has got their custom shop. It's pretty, pretty sweet. What you can do with some of the dips and Cerakote that, uh, Justin and his crew over there are doing. So I would definitely check out the, uh, Utah Air Guns Custom Shop for the, for the Cerakote stuff. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, there's, I've got some ideas in my head about some of my new builds I got coming up. Um, you know, I've pitched a couple ideas to Justin that I'd, I'd love to see. And man, my, my brain's always kind of cranking away at stuff. <laughs> that, well, that's awesome, man. Do, do you have a, uh, a favorite gun? Uh, I know that can be interpreted different ways. Right. Maybe like a favorite looking gun and then just a favorite one to just pull out and shoot. Man, that is, and that's, you know, the reason why that's hard to answer is because at any given day, like today, I just got the, uh, the Seneca Dragon Claw. So to talk about one of the things I'm going to be talking about in my channel coming up, this is actually a little bit of a preview, is I've always been trying to show like the most powerful stuff. Like, you know, I've done stuff with modded Air Force Texans and the Air Force Texan line. But I realize there's a lot of guys out there that maybe they don't look like the look of the Air Force Texan or maybe some of the other big bore stuff like, you know, the, um, you know, some of the other new big bores that you see coming out that are like that 600, 700, 800 foot pounds of energy. Maybe they're like more of a traditional gun. And so, mm -hmm. like, I, I've seen guys like, you know, I don't like that. I'm going to get this, uh, like, the, whatever, what is that, the Winchester uh, big bore air gun. It's like. 200 foot pounds of energy or 250 foot pounds of energy or the dragon claw 50 cal that's like you know mid 200s of foot pounds of energy and i think a lot of times people will buy these guns because they maybe look like a more traditional gun right and so any when you ask that question what's my favorite you know gun like i i'll pick up the dragon claw I'm like man this feels great this is awesome i mean it feels like a traditional firearm right mm -hmm. um and so i think though when people but yeah, it's a 50 caliber. It sounds huge, right? It's a 50 caliber, but yeah, the foot pounds of energy on that is significantly less than some of these other, you know, more powerful technologies. And I think it's totally fine for people to want to get those. It's just, I want to be as educational as I can on my channel to talk about, okay, if you're going to be deer hunting, like in the state of Michigan, we just have to use like a 35 cal. We don't have a foot pounds of energy requirement. And mm -hmm. if you chose to go out there with say like with a, you know, a Benjamin Bulldog or like the new FX impact 35 or, you know, some of these sub 300 foot pounds of energy guns, like in that, you know, 150 to 250 range or something like you can do it, but you're going to have to be really, really, really knowledgeable, not only on the accuracy of your gun, but on the terminal ballistics of what your projectile is doing mm -hmm. and why that gun might be only a 30 yard gun. And I know it sounds ridiculous, right? That, oh man, 30 yards. What? That's so close. Mm -hmm. You really need to start treating those guns like in the world of archery where you have like recurve bows and you have compound bows and then you've got crossbows. Some of those like, you know, 150 to 250 foot pound big bores, you almost need to start treating those like it's a recurve bow where you're not taking shots very far, like at all. And the angle of the deer, right? I mean, if you get a deer that's facing you or slightly quartering towards you, when you hit that deer, you're basically going through all kinds of muscle and bone and you're not going to get the penetration you need. So maybe only use those guns for like a perfectly broadside shot 
where you're hitting into the rib cage and the vital zones like within the rib cage where you don't have a lot of muscle or bone, you know, to mm-hmm. go through, you know, right. ribs on a ribs on a deer are just like matchsticks. They're like nothing, but you hit a shoulder blade or like a leg bone. I mean, it's not going to go through that. Those lower powered guns just are not going to have the penetration you need. So whenever you tell you say what my favorite gun is, it like they all, what, what's intriguing to me is like there's such a spectrum of air guns now. And mm-hmm. even within the realm of big bores, you even have like different, I would even say levels of big bores now. And it's yeah, just because yeah. things are getting so big. So anyway, literally just got a dragon claw today, picked, took it out of the box. And I said, man, I love this thing. This thing's awesome. Like I went outside, I started uh, plinking with it. I have that new big bore uh, spinner target I've got. Oh yeah. Started hitting with that thing. And it's just like, man, that, that gun is fun. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'd say on the very lower end of, uh, you know, for uh, efficient big bore deer hunting, but it's awesome. And then, you know, would I take a, like a 25, 30 yard shot in a deer? Absolutely. With that thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it depends on what day you ask me what my favorite gun is. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, Oh, another thing I want to talk about uh, that the saber tactical chassis. I don't know if you saw that on my channel, but mm-hmm. dude. Okay. I got to talk about this. This is a really important topic. Yes, please do. <laughs> so, there are a lot of times when I pick up an air gun and I just kind of, you know, I just, I make it work. Right. I, 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 the sight picture might be not perfect and I have to use like crazy high rings or, you know, sometimes the ergonomics of air guns aren't, aren't, aren't always the greatest, but we make it work. You know what I mean? We kind of wrestle our way through that with either different heights of, you know, scope rings and different strategies like cheek rest, things like that. Mm-hmm. So what's awesome about that chassis is it's probably the most customizable air gun platform now that I've ever picked up. So what I mean by that is I don't think I've ever had an opportunity with any air gun where I can tweak to my specific, like either way of shooting or the ergonomics or, you know, my personal preference. I mean, everything on that from the height of the cheek rest to the length of pull and most air guns are trying, you know, most air guns are built and manufactured in a way where they're kind of, uh, you know, they're going towards like the average, like, you know, medium to large adult. Right. Right. And so for me, I'm five foot 10. Um, I've got like kind of a different like build or shape that maybe you do. And so where my perfect sight picture and setup on my gun could be completely different than yours or maybe i'm shooting from the bench or shooting off hand or hunting with it each one of those configurations are going to be a little bit different and so when i got my hands on that chassis here recently from saber tactical for the uh fx dreamline it was one of those just moments where you pick something up and you're just like oh my god like why can't all air guns like have this level of adjustability you know if you if you do get that saber tactical uh, chassis for the dreamline it literally is probably going to spoil you for you know how you wish your all your air guns could be set up because it's it's pretty awesome so i just uh really i'm gonna be doing a video on that here pretty soon um definitely definitely check that out for sure yeah i i've seen um well one i I, when i was down at utah air guns a couple months ago i got to shoot one and uh hold it they're super sweet they they look really good um and uh I think, I, I don't know, I, I'm probably not the best to say 
if it's going to be worth the price. So what what would you say? Because I've seen some people complain about that. Be like, what? It's it's too expensive. Uh, do you think yeah. it's worth the price, Chris? I will say, whenever I first looked at that, it is probably one of the most expensive accessories that I've seen to add to like an FX gun. But mm-hmm. when I started adding up. Like if I were to buy, let's say, a custom rail, right, for the front rail, because it's got the Arca Swiss uh, rail for like, you know, uh, tripod attachments. Mm -hmm. And on that, it's got the, um, on top of that, it's got the Picatinny rail in front of that. So a lot of my air guns, I actually like getting an extended rail because I like having that bipod out as far far forward as I want. So whenever I start looking at like extended rails, I mean, that's like 150 to 250 or even more, you know, right there for that. And then if I wanted to add, let's say, like a custom butt stock, you know, that's usually like 150 to 200 bucks for something like that. So when you start adding in like all those pieces, basically with the the way I look at it, the chassis is like you're buying something that's like it's all kind of in one in net net. Like if you actually look at the total cost of that as compared to like all the other accessories you'd have to bolt together to get to do what that thing does. I mean, it's got the collapsible butt stock on it. And if you want to put like mm-hmm. an AR collapsible butt stock on your gun, I mean, that's another probably hundred bones, 150 bones. So it's like, by the time you add all that stuff up, it's actually cheaper than add, you know, trying to add all those individual pieces. So, and again, I think also it's taking the Dreamline platform, which is pretty freaking sweet and, and it's kind of moving it up to, you're going to, I think you're going to see, Dreamlines, a lot more Dreamlines on the on the hundred yard Ventress line coming up when whenever we get out of this COVID stuff, mm-hmm. we're all able to yeah. come back together and go to RMAC and go to Pyramid Cup and go to EBR. You know, with that Saber tactical chassis and then the new plenum that you can add to the Dreamline. I mean, that Dreamline now is really starting to come close. It doesn't have all the adjustability that the Impact does. But I'll tell you what, man, my Dreamline is a freaking tack driver. And if you put, you know, now I've got that uh, the chassis on there, you know, that's, it's starting to become probably a go-to platform for a lot of guys, even on the competition level. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, is it an expensive accessory? Yep. But, you know, it's, <laughs> so is everything else in air gunning, quite honestly. Yeah. Right. And I think uh, people, they they more like the idea of having that chassis and not necessarily, they don't need um, all the features of that. Right. And so then they say, Oh, well, it's basically, you know, a thousand dollars. So like, I'm not going to buy that. I could get another gun for that. Yeah. You know, here's the thing about, about it though. I will say that there are, you know, when you talk about chassis in general, um, if you're just getting it for how it looks, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, if it's true, if you're just getting it for the eye candy, that's not, you know, that, that's not the reason why you're getting the chassis. I mean, if you're going to get a chassis and actually use a chassis for what it's intended to do, it is going to make the platform shoot better because it's going to basically set up your gun to be a perfect match for you as the shooter. So, you know, I think if you're just looking at it, because if you want to just be, you know, tactical and make it look cool, you know, unless you've mm-hmm. got some money to burn, probably not the best thing. But man, if you really want to be able to adjust your gun properly, that's, you know, and I think that was the aha moment I had was, man, now that I've used that, I realized, man, the sight picture and how I'm holding my cheek to my cheek rest and how I'm holding my um, rifles in the in the pocket of my shoulder, it's it. They all feel like wrong now. <laughs> and now yeah. Where now even you set it up right. And it's a difference of like 
if you just if you don't ever want a really nice sports car, just don't ever sit in one. Like because the second you sit in one, you're gonna be like, man, I have been literally missing out on an entirely different world that I wasn't aware of. And I think that's probably true of a lot of different things, like you know, scopes. You know, if you don't want to get ruined, don't look through a Nexus scope. Like if you don't want to get like ruined on, because you might think that you're. You know, your $100 scope is the greatest thing in the world. But the second you start looking through something like, you know, like I said, like an Element Nexus or an Element Titan or one of the new mm-hmm. Element scopes, don't do that. Because <laughs> like, you're going to want, you're going to want that. You're going to see like how much better quality is. And I think, you know, like in any other sport, I actually had somebody say this to me the other day, like, man, air gunning is so expensive. Like you get into it and like all this stuff is so expensive. And the guy that I was mm-hmm. talking to, he was into cars. So he specifically, he has a Mustang. He's got like an old, like 1970 Mustang. Oh yeah. Those are cheap. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I was like, how much have you spent in the last year? He just dropped a new engine in it. He literally just put new oh, rims on that thing. Like, I mean, that guy has probably put a good 20 grand into that one car. <laughs> so I was just like, just like any other hobby or sport, um, you know, we, we spend money on stuff and if you've got some discretionary income or even if you don't, you're passionate about doing this. You know, I think mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us, we like investing in stuff that, uh, you know, that keeps us happy and insane, especially with all the craziness going on right now in our world. Sometimes it's able, gives us an outlet to, you know, keep our sanity between our ears for sure. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the case for me, you know, every once in a while. Um, not that my life is a uh, exceptionally difficult or anything like that but it's nice just to be like you know what on saturday i'm gonna get out and go shoot some prairie dogs or something at this um, property that i have and it's just it's a it's a really nice thing to to be able to do yeah sure it's definitely it's therapeutic i mean controlling your breathing you know being very like in the moment and aware of like your the small muscular things that your body does to hold, you know, a proper sight picture. I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, quite honestly, it's, it's my version of yoga. I mean, I absolutely love it. If you could give one bit of advice to someone considering getting into the sport of air gunning, what would that be? So that's a great question. And actually it's a really good segue into the uh, air venture Avenger. I had a chance to recently get my hands on. Um, if you're just getting into this, uh, let's say, you know, you just got a smaller budget dude that gun is freaking awesome you know when i put out that video and i said oh this is like the best budget pcp ever you know it's you've seen a lot more reviews from other people now coming out and and doing stuff with it and it's it's a great platform to start getting into this and um obviously you're gonna have to buy you know fill equipment and things like that along with it but if you're just getting into it um one you don't have to break the bank right away you can get into it like with an air venturi avenger you know keep try to keep that budget down you got to remember you know there's going to be accessories you're going to want or need like bipods and scopes scope rings and fill devices and stuff like that so but if you do get into it i think the biggest thing i would say is get plugged into the community i mean i have made some of the i will call these people friends i mean i talk more with rick cream i talk more with some of these guys on my YouTube and uh, Facebook channels and my Instagram channels than I do my, what I would consider my real quote unquote, like in-person friends and the mm-hmm. community of air gunners just, it's such a welcoming, pretty open 
place where people are willing to share ideas and share experience. And um, so if you're just getting into it, uh, you know, definitely get onto the Facebook groups, get onto the online forums, go to Airgun Nation, go to GTA, get plugged into that stuff. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, most air gunners are willing to kind of share their experience and kind of share what what they've learned in the past. Um, you know, growing up, I was really big into archery with my dad, and we got into uh, some of the competitive archery stuff. And then some of those guys were just total jerks, and so it, it kind of got me turned off. That, but so far, like the the air gun uh, community, even on the comp- competition side, is right now at least it's 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 pretty welcoming. It's very open. Um, again, people are willing to share pretty much everything that they've learned. I mean, if you come to air gun competitions, if you live in the Midwest, definitely check out Pyramid Cup. Um, if you live out West, check, definitely can check out EBR and RMAC, hopefully next year, whenever we're doing that stuff. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually really glad you said that. Cause I have been blown away and I say this almost every single episode is how welcoming and like friendly everyone in the air gun community is. So that's really good advice to get plugged into the community, not just be a lone wolf trying to figure this out on your own because uh, you'll spend a lot of time and probably not figure out very much. But yeah. if you get plugged in and you talk to people like, oh yeah, I tried to do that. Don't do that. You'll blow up your air gun. <laughs> um, saves you the hassle. Yeah, yeah. You know, we all make mistakes along the way. And I think sometimes, you know, sharing our mistakes and, one of the things that I pride myself, like, especially, especially on like the hunting side, I mean, I'll tell people about, you know, I took this shot. I wasn't able to recover this deer. This is what I learned. This is what I think happened. Um, You know, I think a lot, especially on the hunting side, if you do get plugged into a community or a forum, you get talking to somebody and they, you know, they say there's two words in air gunning hunting that I always tell people, like there are two things I've learned the two words you should probably remove from your air gunner vocabulary when it comes to hunting, especially deer hunting is the words never and always like the things are so dynamic. I mean, when you're, especially when you're deer hunting stuff happens. Right. And I think the more we can tell the stories about both what didn't work as well as like trying to show off like that awesome 12 point buck that you've got hanging on your wall and you took a hundred yard shot and its legs crumpled and it fell in place that's awesome. And it does happen. But we also should be sharing some of these stories about, man, you know, it's like happened to me a couple of years ago. I took a literally like a 10 yard shot deer best blood trail of my life. For some reason, something happened during that shot. And I've gone through a lot of different scenarios of what caused it. I didn't end up recovering that deer. My neighbor actually recovered that deer. And so mm. I think sharing some of these things that don't work and experiences that maybe wasn't the best outcome as far as like a success for us, will help us like learn from each other. So I think, um, you know, for me, at least on up North air gunner, I, I don't care. I don't, it's like, if I can share my failures as long as with my successes, I'm hopefully gonna, you know, somebody will learn something from that and I'll learn something from them and, you know, it'll, it'll grow the sport from there. Yeah, that's great advice. I, I think, uh, it's a, that's a noble, noble thing to do is share your failures and your mistakes. You know, my, so far, my biggest one, um, was just not doing all the research or, or maybe just being too excited to um, care about what I heard and trying to fill my first PCP with just a regular air compressor and then being like, the gun is broken. <laughs> so I don't yeah. want to do it. Yeah. We all start somewhere, man. And that's, that's the things we have to all remember. I mean, even some of the people that are in our, in our community that have been doing this for like 20 plus years, we have to remember we all start 
somewhere, right? And so my journey in the air gun space, honestly, is just a handful of years. It's not, you know, I haven't been around as long as some of these guys. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something I need to learn too. Like I might be excited about something that's work, working for me and it's, you know, I think it's the greatest thing ever, but sometimes I need to kind of tap my own brakes and go, well, but maybe I need to kind of find out from some of these guys that have been doing it a lot longer than me to find out like, okay, this is working for me right now. And I absolutely love this. I think it's the best thing ever, but you know, is there something different that I could be trying or is there something better I could be trying? And I think um, those are some of the lessons that I've learned along the way of like, you know, you might find something that works for you and that's okay too. If you find something that works for you and you've got 15 people online telling you like it's crap, you know what? Just, turn that stuff off. If it, if it, if it works for you, then you just go with it. And, you know, I think that's, you know, a lot of times we all get, I think a lot of times people also get pretty like kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, dedicated to like a certain like brand or dedicated to a certain thing. And so, you know, I fall into that category too. I mean, air force, I'm like a huge, huge air force fan. It would take probably i don't even know what i mean it's like i am going into the woods to go deer hunting with my air force texan it's just like that is it now are there other guys out there hunting with other air guns the big boy air guns that are you know just you know maybe they like them and it works great for them that's awesome you know and Mm -hmm. i think being able as a community kind of have these kind of good discussions around those things but yeah i mean sometimes do get a little crazy and we get all (laughs) we we get all pretty protective of our own personal viewpoints and i've gotten drawn into that a couple times but uh but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great time to be an air gunner for sure. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more there. Well, Chris, one last thing um, before we go is I just want to make sure everyone who's listened um, knows where they can find you and follow along uh, on pretty much any platforms you're on. So you want to share that with us before we uh, end this one? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely check me out on YouTube, uh, up North air gunner, uh, check me out on Facebook, check me out on Instagram for uh, underneath up North air gunner. And um, yeah, I'm going to be, we're getting ready to get into the deer hunting season. So you're going to start seeing a lot more big boar stuff coming up from my channel. So yeah, check it out. Wicked. Well, thanks so much for uh, hopping on the podcast again, Chris, you're the man. And I really look forward to uh, not only the hunting videos, but everything else. I hope these uh, copper slugs prove to be something that changes the, the big game hunting for air gunners. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, man.